listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm going to be teaching you today on uh, five worthless prayers that God will not hear. Five worthless prayers that God will not hear. Very important because as Christians, we're supposed to be praying all the time, every day. And uh, as we are praying, uh, obviously we know we can pray in our native language or as the Bible says, we can pray in the spirit. And that's prayer in a heavenly language, prayer in tongues, as, as we call it. Um, but today I'm not going to be addressing praying in tongues or praying by the spirit, but uh, as we pray in our known language, what are some types of prayer or five prayers that we'll deal with today? God simply does not hear them. He simply does not hear them. They are worthless to pray. So this is an important topic, obviously, because as we're supposed to be praying on a daily basis, we want to be praying productive prayers. I want to pray productive prayers. I want to pray prayers. They're going to get an answer. I want my prayers not only to be heard. I want my prayers to be answered. And that's obviously, uh, one of the promises of prayer from the scripture, right? Uh, Jesus said, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So, uh, get this in your spirit. One of the ways that Christ wants to bring you joy in life is through answered prayer. Good morning, Denise. And so the Bible says, ask that you shall receive that your joy may be full. So answered prayer brings supernatural joy. And so God wants to answer our prayers. No question about that. He not only wants to hear them, he wants to answer them. He wants to answer them. And so I want you to start by a faith declaration today and put it in the comments. My prayers will be answered. My prayers will be answered. And what are we believing for this year? This is our year of divine possession. I know there's people that are, you're watching me. You're listening to me. You've been believing God for supernatural things. You're believing God for answered prayer. And so I'm standing with you. I have prayers that I'm believing to be answered, but declare it right off the bat by faith. My prayers will be answered in Jesus mighty name. And so um, I'm not just going to break these down for you today. I'm going to give you the scripture that backs, as I always do, I'm going to give you the scripture that backs all of these worthless types of prayer that never need to be prayed, that you should leave off the list, if you will. And so I want to show you um, Old and New Testament things that are um, a hindrance to answered prayer. You know, if God has a plan to answer your prayers and to bless you through prayer, what a, what a slap in the face to the redemptive process it is for us to hinder God's hand from moving. I don't ever want to hinder God's hand from moving in my life. And there are things that we can do that would put us out of position to receive answers to our prayers. And there are things we can do to put us in position 
to receive answers to our prayers. And that's what today's about. And by the way, uh, if you didn't know, we have an entire course on answered prayer that's found in Miracle Word University. If you didn't know that we have Miracle Word University, you can go to MiracleWordU, the letter U, dot com, and you can see all the courses. Many of you are being are part of um, Bible Study Made Simple, and we have new, new videos for that course every Monday. But this is a, a course you can purchase in Miracle Word U called Answered Prayer, about five hours of teaching, uh, taking you through what the Word of God says on prayer and how to have your prayers answered. So today, I'm giving you these five things. I want you to write them down. I want you to put them in the comments. And I want you to highlight these verses in your Bible, if you have your Bible, and, and make a note to yourself that you're going to make sure you're not out of position to have your prayers answered. So let's go with number one. The, the, the number one prayer that we're going to deal with today, uh, a worthless prayer that God will not answer, is the prayers of the unrighteous the prayers of the unrighteous. Sin is a killer. Sin is a killer. If you missed Friday night's uh, message in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, good morning, Lena. If you missed Friday night's message in Lancaster, you need to go back and watch that message. It's very appropriate for today and uh, it needs to be heard. The prayers of the unrighteous. God does not hear the prayers of the unrighteous. In fact, there's only one prayer that God will listen to from that type of a person, and it is the prayer of repentance. It's the prayer of repentance, but God does not answer or listen to the prayers of the unrighteous. Look with me in Psalm 66, and uh, I want to read to you what uh, the choir, uh, this, 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 uh, Psalm says, I'm going to start in verse 16 and uh, read through verse 20. Listen to this. Psalm 66, verse 16 through 20. Come and hear all of you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. He would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed steadfast love from me. So you see that if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayer. That's what the psalmist says. You can jump right over to Proverbs 15. Look at this. Proverbs 15, 29. Put that one in the comments. Proverbs 15 and verse 29. Listen to this proverb. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Look at that. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So this, both of these, as you can see, are in an Old Testament context. God does not hear the prayers of the wicked. He's listening for the prayers of the righteous. But let me take you now over into a New Testament context for this same point. From 1 Peter chapter 3. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 
and I want to read you one verse of scripture. Again, number one today is the prayers of the unrighteous, the prayers of people who, uh, as the psalmist wrote, cherish sin in their heart, iniquity, the psalmist wrote. So the prayers of the unrighteous, look what first Peter chapter three says, Peter writing this church, uh, this uh, letter to the churches, um, multiple churches, by the way, in Asia minor. And Peter writes this, um, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see that. And he's quoting again, uh, the Psalmist, but he says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so sin is a killer. Sin is something that cancels prayer from being answered. So number one, it's very important to understand God's eyes are on the righteous. God's eyes are on those who have made a decision to live for him with all of their heart. God's not answering everybody's prayer. God's not up in heaven like, you know, like a, like a jukebox, just simply answering every prayer that goes up. It doesn't work that way. God even has parameters on the prayers that he will answer. And it's very important to know what they are so that we're never praying in vain. But the Bible declares here that his eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And I made up my mind. I'm staying in the will of God because I want my prayers to be answered. You know, it's interesting too. David um, prayed that God would empower him and encourage him to serve him with his whole heart. Right? Uh, And prayed and said, God, renew in me right? Renew in me, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. So this was David's prayer. This is why he was a man after God's own heart, because David, even under an old Testament covenant understood, I've got to serve the Lord. I have to serve the Lord. And he, and his prayers notice that notice how his prayers were for empowerment to serve the Lord. His prayers were for empowerment to serve the Lord. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me out of your presence and don't remove me or take your Holy Spirit from me. That's David's prayer. And God said, that's a man after my own heart. Did he make mistakes? Yes. But did God still use him after his repentance? Yes, he did. Because he had this mindset Lord, empower me to serve you, empower me to live for you, empower me to please you. Notice that. And so the prayers of the unrighteous, uh, we have to make sure that we are obedient to the mighty word of God. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings open doors. Obedience brings increase. Obedience brings blessing. And so obedience to the word of God will bring you into position to receive every prayer that you need to have answered, answered. Number two, here's a big one. This is one that people pray that I don't understand. I personally don't understand. 
I, I, under, I do understand that it's from poor teaching, but I don't understand. It's like people continually pray these types of prayers. It has to be from poor teaching. It's the only thing it could be from. But number two is prayers with no promise attached to them. Prayers with no promise attached to them. Put, put that in the comments. Number two, prayers with no promise attached to them. I want you to see this because I see people praying stuff and it's like, where's that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? Prayers with no promise attached to them. Do you know God honors only his word? That's all. God honors his word. The Bible says in Psalm 138 and verse two that God has magnified his word above his name. God honors his word. That's it. He doesn't honor men's opinions, uh, desires that are outside the word of God. He, do, he doesn't honor those things, but he honors his word. And uh, in fact, look at this. Um, in Jeremiah chapter one, I want to read you uh, verse 12. Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah 112. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. That's Jeremiah 112. You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. I am watching over my word to perform it. If I jump back to Isaiah 55, you're familiar with this passage. Verse 11, Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So notice this. You can't pray things that are contradictory to the word of God and expect God to answer those prayers. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You can't just make things up and say, this God, this is what I want you to do. God does what he said he will do. It's like, I remember when I was in Bible school, Brother Hagin uh, told us a story about a guy, when he was pastoring a church, there was a guy that came up to him who, um, was believing for his prayers to be answered. And Brother Hagin said, he came up and said, would you agree with me in prayer? And he said, uh, sure. He said, what, what are you believing for? What's, what's your prayer request? He said, well, you see that woman over there? And pointed to a woman in the church. You see that woman over there? He said, yeah. He said, I'm believing that she's gonna be my wife. Would you pray with me that she will be my wife? And Brother Hagin said, the only problem was with his prayer request, he said, the man already had a wife and the woman already had a husband. He said, God's not going to answer that prayer. In fact, it goes against the word of God. What God has joined together, let no man uh, pull asunder or, or, or separate, the newer translations say. So God's not going to break up two marriages to form a new marriage. 
And so he said, I can't agree with you in prayer. You can't find, where are you going to stand on the word for that? Where are you, where in the world are you going to stand on the word for that? Uh, recently, I mean, within the last, um, couple of years, there was a minister who went on television and he was encouraging everybody to pray that God would, I don't know, anoint the minds of the scientists or the doctors or whatever, so that we could have a, a jab released to us. This was before it came out. This is before they released it to everybody and everybody was getting jabbed. He said, let's pray. We need to pray that there is a jab available to us. It's like, dude, where, where do you, what scripture are you standing on for that? Like what, what scripture? First of all, uh, God doesn't do things that don't bring him glory. So why, but plus it takes just as much faith to believe that there can be some kind of a medical breakthrough so people can get a jab as it does to just believe for healing, which he does get the glory for. So why in the world, like what verse of scripture are you standing on for that? What verse of scripture did you turn to say, we need to pray that God will give them wisdom so that they can develop a jab. It's like, where did you, where did you pull that from the Bible? See, remember something, God is a jealous God, which means he wants all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And, and who gets the honor for that? Who gets the praise for that? Who gets the glory for that? Not God, not God. When God does something, it will be something that only he can get the glory for. So if you've got enough faith to pray for that, then why in the world would you not just believe God for divine healing? Why would you not just believe God for that? Tyler said, I believe that verse is found in the book of illusions. Yes, it is. So why would we not just believe for God to supernaturally heal people? And so people start praying for things that there's no scriptural backing for. Let me give you a pro tip here uh, for everybody that's watching, those that are listening on the podcast. Pro tip about prayer. The pro tip is this. You shouldn't pray any prayers that aren't backed by scripture, meaning that every time that you pray something, you should have scriptures to stand on that promise you the thing you're praying for. Do you need healing? There are scriptures that you can stand on and believe God for healing. Do you need, uh, you know, a financial increase? There are scriptures that you can dive into and believe God for a financial harvest. Do you need um, you know, deliverance. There are scriptures that you can stand on. Do you need relationships to be restored? There's scriptures you can stand on. You see what I mean? No matter what it is you're praying for, there are scriptures you can stand on that back you up. And that's a, that's something that that's why when we give you the prayer points, when we pray and we're standing on the prayer points that we put in the fasting book that we have in our app, all those different things, you'll notice that every one of those prayer points has a scripture or scriptures attached to it. Every one of those prayer points has a scripture or multiple scriptures attached to it. The reason being God honors his word and we don't want to pray for things that are outside of God's word because God is the one who set the parameters of what he would and would not do. Right? And so I'm not going to try to force God to do something that's against his nature. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So what's the point of praying these worthless prayers? There is no point. We shouldn't pray those types of things. We should ensure that every time we have something that we're believing God for, we can find it in his word somewhere. 
If I can't find it in his word, it's not for me. In fact, that's a great thing to write down and put in the comments. If I can't find it in his word, then it's not for me. If I can't find it in his word, then it's not for me. Hallelujah. If I can't find it in his word, then it's not for me. Glory to God. And we need to keep that in front of our, in front of our minds. That's why that we put those in for you so that you could turn to the verse and read what it says and set your faith on that verse or that passage. And when you begin to pray, you begin to pray with that in your spirit. That's a promise. It's something God will do because it's found in his word. And so the second thing that's a worthless prayer is prayers with no promise. Prayers with no promise. Number one, prayers of the unrighteous. Two, prayers with no promise. Amen. Number three, let's get this one down. The third worthless prayer that uh, you could pray is prayers with unbelief. Prayers of unbelief. Prayers of unbelief. That is something that will completely stop God from working in your life. Completely stop God from working. And, and it's amazing because you say, well, God can do anything, brother. God, Christ can do anything. Well, we like to say that, but he doesn't just do anything. In fact, here's a story. I mean, every one of us, I, I would hope, everybody watching this and listening to this believes that Jesus was not only the son of God, he was God in the flesh. He was the word made flesh that dwelt among us. He was also filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he was filled with miracle working power. You saw miracles uh, explode from his ministry. There was nothing he couldn't do. He raised the dead, opened the eyes of the blind, cleansed lepers. I mean, uh, Jesus, his miracles were unprecedented. But here's a story in Mark chapter six, where Jesus power is completely uh, short circuited. He couldn't do mighty works the way he wanted to. Notice that Jesus goes to Nazareth with the desire to do mighty works, but then the Bible says couldn't do any of them. He wanted to, but he couldn't. It's not that he decided not to, he wanted to. He went there with that purpose and then was not able to. Mark chapter six, verses one through six. Listen to this. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not these, or are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of what? Their unbelief. Look why he marveled. Because of their unbelief. And so what did he do? He went about the villages teaching. Teaching and preaching are the cure for unbelief. My father has preached that for many years. They're the cure for unbelief. Why? Because faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. The more of God's word you hear, the more faith is built in your heart. Amen. And so what did he do? He came against their unbelief by preaching and teaching. But notice the unbelief that he experienced there short-circuited his ability to move in their lives. There were only a few people in the crowd, in the town that had faith. Jesus located them, worked on their behalf, but could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. So you can pray and pray and pray, but if you're, if you're full of doubt in your heart, if you're full of doubt in your heart, the prayers aren't coming to pass. God, God is moved by faith. God is moved by faith. God is moved by faith. Please put that in the comments today. God is moved by faith. If there's no faith, God doesn't move. And God is not pleased. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if God is not ex uh, seeing faith exhibited from your life, from the life of others, he won't move and he's not pleased. According to scripture, he's not moved and he's not pleased. So we can see that again in Mark chapter 11, as Jesus is teaching on the subject of prayer, right? To his disciples, uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24. What does Jesus say to the disciples? And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. You see it? There it is. There's the prerequisite. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. It will be done. What does there have to be? An absence of doubt. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Not that you're going to receive it. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Notice he will not doubt in his heart. That doubt is something the devil plants in your spirit. He wants you to believe a report of doubt versus faith. Did you ever notice that when those 10 spies came back from spying out the promised land for 40 days, the Bible says 10 of them came back with an evil report. What happened? What they saw, they allowed what they saw to build doubt in their heart. Whereas Joshua and Caleb didn't allow what they saw to alter the faith they already had. They believed God's word. It's already ours. The giants that are living in the land, they are like bread to us. Let's go at once and take it. Let's go right now. We don't have to wait any longer. We don't have to build up more troops. We don't have to train anymore. Let us go at once and take the land. We're well able. The giants there are like bread. Not only are they like bread to us, but they said, and their protection is removed from them. Hallelujah. That's faith. But the other 10, no. We weren't just like grasshoppers in their sight. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. That's doubt. That is unbelief. What do you think? God brought you all this way out of Egypt, all the way through the Red Sea, all the way across the wilderness to get to the um, promised land, to only have you die in the promised land by, uh, 
being murdered by giants? Please, please. And so they allowed what they saw to determine what they believed instead of allowing what they believed to determine what they saw. Get that. They allowed what they saw to determine what they believed rather than allowing what they believed to determine what they saw. See, that's how it, that is how it worked for Joshua and Caleb. What they believed that God already said determined what they saw. They didn't see themselves as grasshoppers and they didn't see and look and say, we're, we're not able. They said, no, no, we're well able. We can take it right now. Their bread to us, their protection is removed. That's a speaking faith. Why? Because they, they believed something that God said, it changed what they saw. The others saw giants that were an obstacle, right? That we couldn't get past them. They saw them as an opportunity. So no, 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 no. We're able to do this. We're able to take it right now. That's not an obstacle to me. They can't stop me. They can't stop what God said. See the difference? Some people believe what they see. Some people believe what God said. Hallelujah. Some people believe what they see. Other people believe what God said. Faith people believe what God said over what they see. That's called faith. Calling those things that are not as though they were. Calling those things that are not. Where? In the natural realm. As though they were. So prayers of unbelief. God can't answer prayers of unbelief. That's number three. Number four, let's keep going. Here's something that's just as devious. It'll stop God from moving, but many people fall prey to number four. And that is double-minded prayers. Get this. James chapter one, double-minded prayers. And this is even more devious than doubt because you can feel as though, well, I'm, you know, I'm in faith for the most part. You know, I, I'm in faith. Number four, double minded prayers. Double minded prayers. This is something that's in count. We encounter this all the time. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you hear this kind of thing. I mean, I'm hoping that it's not you praying it, but I'm sure you've heard these types of prayers prayed before. Double-minded prayers. Let me read to you first what James wrote about it, and then we'll talk about it. Look, James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Listen, but let him ask, anybody who's asking God for anything, including wisdom here, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. For he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Unstable in all his ways. Unstable in all his ways. So the difference here, you ever heard somebody pray something like this? Father, I pray that you would heal them, Lord Jesus. But Lord, even if you don't heal them, I pray you give them strength to bear what they're dealing with. Have you ever heard a prayer like that? Put a hand up in the comments. If you've ever heard someone in church or a friend or somebody pray like that, Lord, I pray that you would heal them, Lord. But Lord, even if you don't heal them, I pray, Lord, that you'd give them strength 
to just bear this situation, to deal with it, to come through it with a good attitude. I'm sure you've heard that. That's straight up nonsense. That's a total waste of time. Might as well not even open your mouth to pray anything. Because you know what that is? That is double-mindedness. That is straight up double-mindedness. Mike Fress said that prayer makes me throw up in my mouth a little every time I hear it. Yeah, me too. It's sickening because first of all, it is the double-mindedness that you're seeing there is, is ensuring, according to scripture, that, the, that a person like that can't receive anything from the Lord. Anything. Not anything. See? And so they come through. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that you would bring them out of this trouble. But Lord, even if you don't bring them out of the trouble, I pray that you would be a light on their path that would guide them through the trouble to the other side. People pray like that. And it's a waste of time. Total waste of time. Because God, number one, God, God's not hearing that. Because what are you saying? That either, number one, it's one of two things. Let's, de let's, let's deal, for example, with the healing prayer first. It's one of two things. It's either, number one, that they don't believe God can heal somebody, right? God heal them, but, but even if you don't heal them. So whether, whether they believe it, maybe, maybe what they're dealing with is too much for God. Maybe their situation is too much, too far for God. And so, you know, maybe, maybe he can't do this, but I know one thing he could do. He could strengthen them in the middle of it. So that's not either number one, you don't understand God's power and his ability. Or number two, you don't know God's character. You may not know God's character. And you say, well, I, I don't know if he's willing to heal this person. Maybe he's not willing to heal this, this person. So instead of healing them, Lord, we pray that you just be with them and strengthen them as they go through the, that means you don't understand God's character and nature that he's not willing that anybody, uh, in his body, nobody that's in, that's following his word. He's not willing that those people be sick and he didn't put sickness on them. God's not a child abuser. So either people don't understand his power or they don't understand his character and his nature. Amen. They don't understand his character or his nature. And so that's what causes them. And again, this can be solved by filling yourself with the word of God. Because if you fill yourself with the word of God, it not only will build faith, it will reveal to you God's power and his ability, and it'll reveal to you his character and his nature. Amen. It's God's will to heal everyone, Nancy. It's just like it's his will that none should perish. Does that mean that nobody will perish? No. There will be plenty of people who perish because the Bible says that the, uh, the way to heaven is a straight and a narrow path and only a few will find it. That means the majority of people will go to hell, but a few will find righteousness. But that doesn't mean that it's God's will for the others to go to hell. He's willing that none should perish. And I do not by any means believe that that means that none of his elect should perish. I mean that he, he's not, he does not want anyone to spend eternity in hell. But again, people will spend eternity in hell. Not because it was God's will, but because they rejected Christ. And he's also not willing, he doesn't want his people to be sick. He doesn't want his people to be diseased. 
If you go back, read Acts 10, 38, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed of the devil for the Lord was with him. It was the devil doing the oppressing. It was Jesus doing the healing. And it was because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit when God sent him the Holy Spirit. So God is in the healing business. The devil's in the oppressing business. So God's desire is to heal everyone, but that doesn't mean everyone will receive healing. Amen. And so double-mindedness keeps you from the blessings of God. Don't let that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. Don't let that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. And so you've got to get double-mindedness out. You've got to get it out. I'm not going to be unstable in all my ways. I refuse to be unstable in the kingdom of God. My stability comes through believing the written word of the almighty God. That's where my stability comes from. Faith that is built through studying and reading and ingesting the mighty word of God. Hallelujah. Just in the same way Jesus went into the surrounding villages and towns teaching and preaching. Why? Because they had a problem with unbelief. And if you want unbelief to leave your life for good, and if you want doubt to leave your life, fill yourself with the word of God and listen to preaching and teaching that'll build your faith. That's why we, I mean, this, we want this for you so bad that we put out so much free content that it takes the majority of our time and effort to get it to you. This is the whole reason. I mean, we do broadcast five days a week to build your faith. On top of that, we have miracle word radio that's in our app. That's free. That just plays teaching and preaching for two or 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just nonstop nonstop. And we do that for you because we want your faith to be built up. We want you to go to another level. Amen. Amen. And so double-mindedness keeps you from the blessings of God. Let me give you number five before I pray for you today. Number five, listen to this. And this is a big one. Don't fall into this trap. Whatever you do, don't fall into this trap. This last one is very common. It is very, very common. Are you ready? Prayers that are outside of love. Man, get this. We love you, Mike. Prayers that are outside of love. What does that mean? The devil works very hard to try to pull God's children out of walking in love. Walking in love is the primary prerequisite, if I can say that. The primary prerequisite to having prayers answered. Even before faith, people are surprised to find that. They're surprised to hear that. Walking in love is the primary prerequisite for having your prayers answered. Please get this and write it down. And I mean, even before faith, the more foundational than faith is walking in love. I'm going to say that again. More foundational than faith is walking in love. You know why? Because faith works by love. 
Man, I'm going to give you a few scriptures on this that'll help you. Faith works by love. Of course, I'm quoting Galatians chapter five and verse number six. More foundational than faith for prayer is walking in love. It's walking in love because faith works by love. So Galatians 5, 6, that's what it says. Faith works by love or faith working. I'll read it to you from the ESV by love. Listen to this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith works through love. I took you moments ago to Mark chapter 11, but I left out one verse on purpose until this point, because I want you to see that after Jesus is done teaching his disciples that they can speak to the mountain, commanded to be cast into the sea, if they don't doubt in their heart, uh, they'll have whatever they say. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it. It will be yours. That's Mark eleven twenty four. But then keep going because Jesus isn't done. Mark eleven twenty five reinforces this point that we're teaching right now. And see, he's connecting these together because they go together. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Notice Jesus doesn't just teach to have faith in God. Verse 22. He doesn't just teach to speak to the mountain, tell it to go into the sea and don't doubt in your heart. He doesn't just teach that whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you'll receive them. You shall have them. He also teaches in the same context, same context. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, this is why the devil doesn't want you to walk in forgiveness. This is why he wants you to be in bitterness, to hold grudges, to to be in offense. I'm offended. I'm offended at them. That's why the devil wants you in offense. That's why he wants you holding grudges. That's why he wants you to be bent out of shape with people and holding things against people. Because the moment you do, then your prayers stop working. Your faith stops functioning. You have to walk in love if you want God to bless you. Can't be outside of of love and be in faith. You know, the Bible says in 1 John, God is love. (laughs) Amen. God is love. So think of it this way. The moment you step out of love, you step outside of God. The moment... You step out of love, you step outside of God. Uh, Let me read to you 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. You see that? Notice John here, anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. And verse 11, I mean, I can go through the whole uh, portion of the chapter. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But let me give you something. 
that'll help you. This is how serious this is. This is how serious this is. The Bible says, going down to verse 20, you ready for this? First John four 20, this is heavy. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's verse 21. You see that you can't say you love God and hate people and be bitter at people and hold grudges against people, be offended at people. Can't say that. The Bible says love is the principal thing. God is love. God is love. Hallelujah. Let me take you to one more. First uh, Corinthians 13. Go with me there. This actually breaks it down so you can see what God sees love is. How does God define love? That's what you need to ask. And that's what I need to ask. How does God define love? Because, you know, you could just say, yeah, you know, I walk in love. What does that look like, though? How would anyone know you are walking in love? See, we have to define it the way God defines it or else it's worthless. How would God define walking in love? Well, let me read it to you. Paul writes, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know what that means? Speaking in tongues isn't as powerful as walking in love. Number two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. You know what that means? Walking in love is more important than prophesying. It's more important than moving mountains. It's more important than having all faith. Because Paul said, if I have all three of those things and I don't walk in love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned and I don't have love, I gain nothing. So your offerings don't even matter if you don't have love. And even if you're a martyr and you die for the faith, but you don't have love, you are nothing. You've not gained anything. So now he starts to define what God looks at as walking in love. You ready? Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I gave up childish things for now. We see dimly in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. Look at this verse 13. Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see that the greatest of these is love. There's faith is greater. Love is greater than faith. Love is greater than hope, according to Paul. And that's the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul's writing. So according to God, 
love is greater than faith. According to God, love is greater than hope. According to God, love is greater than giving. Love is greater than martyrdom. Love is greater than the gifts of the Spirit. According to God. Love is the most foundational prerequisite to receiving the blessings of heaven. That's why the devil works so hard to try to get us outside of love. That's why he tries to work against our flesh, get us bent out of shape with people, fighting with people, arguing with people, bickering with people, being irritable all the time, mad at people all the time, holding stuff. And I know there's, I know preachers that have been like that. I don't talk to him. He screwed me. So I don't, I don't, I don't talk to him. I don't, and sitting around, they've got, they've got an issue. Now it's, it's all right. It's totally okay to separate from somebody, but you can't be bitter at them. You can't be mad at them. You can't hold stuff against them. That'll stop your faith from working. That'll stop what God has called you to do. The Bible actually teaches to separate from certain people, teaches it very clearly. It's all right to separate from certain people and have nothing to do with them. The Bible teaches it in some uh, instances. You can separate and have nothing more to do with a person, but you can't hold a grudge against them. You can't not walk in love toward them. And you can't, even your enemies, you're supposed to pray for the Bible teaches. You're supposed to pray for them that spitefully use you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that hate you. Bible says so. You can't allow your flesh to step in and get upset and angry. That's a good question. Michael says, that being said, how do you explain this to people who are extremists and want to accept everything and anything based on love? Because, just because you love, and that's a great question. Let me answer it this way. Just because you love people doesn't mean you have to love their sin. And it doesn't mean you have to love the wickedness that's produced. Let me give you a, a perfect analogy of this. Imagine a mother that gives birth to a son and that son grows up to be a vile mass murderer. Murdered, you know, seven, eight, nine people. They found him later, arrest him. He's given the death sentence. Now that mother still loves her son. She may show up to his execution and cry and cry as they get ready to execute her son. Why? That's her baby boy. That's her son who turned into a mass murderer, who did things he should not have done, vile things. And she loves him. And she sits there, whether he's, you know, whatever, however they're going to do it. And she cries, lethal injection, crying for her son. People could look at her and say, what's wrong with this woman crying over a murderer who should die? They should execute this guy killed nine people in cold blood. They should kill him. She shouldn't be crying. She should be clapping her hands and rejoicing. No, no, that's her son. She loves her son. She doesn't agree with the murder. She's upset about, you know, whatever. If he abducted people, killed people, slaughtered, whatever. She's upset. She, she doesn't agree with murder. She doesn't agree with abduction. She's not standing for that. She's looking at the person separated from their actions. And you can love a person without loving their actions. And that's why people don't understand it in our generation. They don't get it at all. You can love a person without loving their actions. My children disobey sometimes. I don't love their disobedience, but I love them. I love them. 
And so just because we're Christians and just because we walk in love doesn't mean, I love people. I love every sinner. I don't want to see them die and go to hell. I want to see them saved and, and, and go to heaven. But just because you love people doesn't mean you have to love their wicked actions. You can love people separately from their wicked actions. You can pray for people separately from their wicked actions. Amen. But you don't love wickedness. You love the people that are enslaved to wickedness. And you pray that God would save them and bring them out of slavery to sin and into the kingdom of light. And that's the answer. That's, the, that's how you answer that foolish extremism that says, well, we have to love everybody. And, and the lie that's been preached in our generation is that you can't separate a person from what they do because what they do is their identity. No, the, what, what you do is not your identity. What you do is not your identity. And that's the problem. Because once you go down that rabbit trail, then you fall prey to, well, you know, Jesus, that, that's how you have churches that have rainbow flags outside of their front door. Well, Jesus loves us. He made us the way we are and he loves us and accepts us the way we are. No, no, he doesn't. Jesus doesn't accept people the way they are. He shed his blood so that they don't have to remain the way they are. I don't understand how people don't get this. If Jesus just accepted everyone the way they are, the shedding of blood was unnecessary. You don't have to die and shed your blood if, it's, if people are fine the way they are. The reason he was killed and tortured, brutalized, is because people weren't okay the way they are. They needed to change. And the only way to change was for him to give his perfect life in our place so that by grace through faith we could accept that redemptive act and be changed, be brought out of bondage, out of slavery to sin, and into his marvelous light and into the kingdom of God and into the body of Christ. That's how you teach that. That's how you explain that to people. Amen. We need the blood of Jesus. We need to walk in love. If you don't walk in love, you're not walking in faith. And so these five types of prayers, you got to make sure you never pray this way. Never pray. Never allow sin to be a constant in your life. Don't, don't allow sin in your life. Drive it out. Drive it out. It short circuits God's power. Don't pray things God didn't promise. Don't pray in unbelief. Don't pray in double-mindedness. And don't pray outside of love. Pray in faith instead, right? Pray in holiness. Pray in righteousness. Number two, what does the Bible say? The prayers of a righteous man avail much. Make much power available. The prayers of who? A righteous man. The prayers of a righteous man. Pray based on God's word. Pray in faith. Don't allow yourself to waver back and forth. Don't allow it. And stay in love as you pray. Father, I pray for every person that's watching today. I ask you, Lord, to give them a strong desire for prayer. I pray you'd give them a heart to seek you. I pray that you'd give them a, a hunger to be in your presence, to read your word and to pray like they never have in these final months of our year of divine possession, let us see quick prayers come to pass. Answers to prayer. We ask you, Lord Jesus, put in our hands what we've never had. Take us where we've never been. Let us do what we've never done for your kingdom. We thank you for that. Empower us to live for you with our whole hearts. Empower us to serve you in Jesus' mighty name. 
We give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you on this Monday and challenge you to sow a seed. I want to put this book in your hand. This is by Pastor Mark Hankins. This book is called The Bloodline of a Champion, The Power of the Blood of Jesus. You need to get this. This is our gift to you in the month of August as you're sowing seed. I want to challenge you to partner with this ministry. What does that look like? People that will not only pray for us on a monthly basis, but that will sow something financially to believe God with me and Carolyn as we are stepping out to touch and see this generation changed by the power of God. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, if you missed it, I, I'll say it again, Friday night in Lancaster, you need to go back and watch that message. You need to go back and watch that message again. It is a message that will change your life, but it'll also give you insight as to the why it's so vital, why it's so urgent to preach this gospel before it's too late. And when you partner with us, you're standing with us to preach this gospel. And again, we'll send this to you as our, our gift to say thank you in the month of August. If you'd like to receive this, go to uh, miracleword.com forward slash offer. Miracleword.com forward slash offer. And you can get that for everybody that's sowing $1,000 or more into this ministry this month. We're going to include on top of this book, we're going to include what I believe is one of the greatest study resources that's ever been produced. This is the Net Study Bible, the Full Notes Edition, 60,000 translators notes uh, from the original languages, textual notes, commentary notes. This is one of the greatest pieces, I call it kit because we, we, that's like a British term, pieces of kit, that's like a, that's like a British term. It's a, it's a tool for studying the Word of God. Um, if you have a Dakes Bible, you'll know what I'm talking about. The Dakes Bible filled with notes. This is even deeper because the, those who translated the Bible from the original languages give us transparent insight into why they made the decisions they made from Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, plus tons, tons of commentary notes in here. This will be a huge blessing to you. That's our gift to everybody that's sowing $1,000 or more this month uh, into the ministry. And we say thank you. Starting this coming Sunday, uh, the tent is going up in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, and I'm going to be joining my father and mother for the final tent meeting of 2022. If you're anywhere near Elizabeth City, Virginia Beach, Virginia, I want to encourage you to make the drive, be in these tent meetings. It's going to be powerful. All of the information, obviously, is on the website. I'm going to be live with you all week this week from the studio, uh, 10.30 a.m. every single morning. Thank you for hanging with me today. I love you guys a lot. Thank you to everybody that's sowing seed. Thank you to everybody that's partnering with us on a monthly basis. Uh, if you're new to this uh, channel, if you're new to our, our ministry, go to miracleword.com forward slash partner and check out all that we're doing to touch this generation and stand with us. I'm telling you, God will bless you. We have so many testimonies that have come in. Um, people that have been supernaturally blessed. I'm telling you, God will bless you as well. And so we say thank you ahead of time to everybody that's standing with us. I love you a lot. Have a powerful day. And I'll talk to you again in the morning. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.